calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hello, my name is Annie Lowe. I'm the Director of uh, Global Investment Performance Standards at CFA Institute. With me here is Ms. Ann Patelis, and uh, she is a member of the GIPS Executive Committee. And Ann and I are very involved with the pool fund projects, so we're here to talk to you and let you know more about the pool fund projects today. Anne, how are you? I'm great. Good, good. So I just want to ask you, can you explain why there's a push to create a new guidance on how to the GIP standards would apply to pool funds? Sure. There are situations where firms manage discretionary assets and they want to claim compliance with the GIP standards, but in their particular circumstance, there are some special hurdles they have to overcome to do that. Uh, let me give you two examples. One would be asset owners, like a pension fund or an endowment. Uh, they might manage discretionary assets either directly or through sub-advisors, uh, but they typically don't have uh, prospective clients. In the pooled fund arena, there are a couple of different complexities. One is that fund managers typically don't have one-on-one -on -one interaction with prospective fund investors. A second is that there are very complex local laws and regulations that govern the material that has to be distributed to prospective fund investors. So that makes the application of the GIPS standards a little bit more difficult in these situations. The standards can be applied, but special guidance is needed in order to show how that can be done. I see. So can this special guidance result in modifications of the GIPS standards? Yes, and you know, it is really important not to view those modifications as the creation of some kind of GIPS light version of the standards. These modifications are really necessary so that the application of the GIPS requirements can be both possible and practical in these somewhat unique circumstances. Well, do you believe that the biggest issues right now regarding pool funds are the lack of one-on-one -on -one interaction between the fund manager and the prospective fund investor, and the complexity of like perhaps the local laws and regulations? I think that those are two of the biggest issues, but I want to add one other one. Typically, the local laws and regulations will specify a methodology for the calculation of performance data that appears in the official document. Now, the official document could be the prospectus in the United States. Uh, there's also, for example, the key investor information document, or KID, in the European Union. The methodology required by regulators will typically be different from the GIPS requirements for the calculation and presentation of data. So a prospective fund investor could see one set of performance numbers in the official document, and yet they can be different from the numbers that would appear in the compliant presentation. So, but one thing I want to, to really note, Annie, is that it's important to understand that in the pooled fund arena, uh, the complexities in 
with pooled funds really doesn't impact most of the most of the GIPS requirements. For example, the requirement to have all discretionary portfolios in a composite, or the requirement to be able to produce a compliant presentation for a composite. They really impact the GIPS requirements that pertain to the distribution of materials and information to prospective investors. So will the pool fund guidance focus on the responsibilities of a compliant firm in fulfilling the requirements for the distribution of information to prospective fund investors? Absolutely. It will really focus on these distribution requirements. And one point I want to make is that this guidance has really been requested. At the uh, 2010 GIPS annual uh, U.S. conference, uh, 87% of respondents said that they wanted more guidance in the pooled fund arena. And in previous global surveys on that topic, about 80% of the respondents said that they wanted more, more guidance in that area. Wow. Well, what has been done to date? Well, the GIPS Executive Committee created a pooled fund working group and an advisory team that has been working hard on these issues. And there have been um, some significant discussions with the Executive Committee, with the GIPS Executive Committee. Uh, certainly, I think there's been great progress in highlighting the key issues that have to be addressed. But at this point, we don't have any major resolution of those issues. And I want to mention that with the new GIPS governance structure that took place on September 1st of this year, 2014, the oversight for pooled fund guidance moved from the GIPS Executive Committee to the GIPS Technical Committee. So what are some of the key issues that need to be debated and discussed? Let me mention three. One is, should there be some basic information that should be distributed to prospective fund investors? If so, what items would be included in that information? A second issue is whether or not there should be a claim of compliance with the GIPS standards included in the official document, if permitted by law, and in fund-specific marketing materials created by the firm. A third issue, and probably one of the most complex and, and hotly debated, is whether there should be an offer of a compliant presentation contained in materials distributed to prospective fund investors. I would think that those are three of the, of the, of the biggest issues. So you said before that the guidance must take into account of the complexities of the local laws and regulations. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that point and how would that impact the pool fund guidance? Sure. That's a really important point, Annie, and I'm glad you, you're emphasizing it because local laws and regulations not only specify what must be contained in the information distributed to prospective fund investors, it also can prohibit certain information from appearing, uh, from appearing, and in some cases, it actually restricts the length of that official document. For example, the KID, which um, is uh, distributed to prospective fund investors in the European Union, is restricted to two pages in length in most cases. That doesn't leave a lot of room for other information. Now, so the, the pooled fund working group, the advisory team, the technical committee, they all have to be really aware of what the local laws and regulations are around the globe. And I will say that the fact that the pooled fund working group and advisory team members represent just approximately, any, I think it's about 35 countries, uh, that really makes a, a really is a huge benefit in that area with this issue. Right. So what are the next steps? 
Well, we have to keep in mind, um, and our next steps are really focused partly on this, there are some very large global firms that manage hundreds of funds around the globe, offering them around the globe, and they sometimes have 60 or more share, uh, share classes per fund. So we have to make sure that guidance does not create an impossible burden for these firms. So one of our next steps is to have further discussions with representatives uh, people who work with or for or consult with uh, large global firms. That's one step. Another step is to have further in, uh, discussions with regulators around the globe. Obviously, more discussions with the pool fund working team and advisory uh, team members. Now that we um, now that we have a situation where we've really identified some of the key issues, then the, what we'll do is distill that information, bring it back to the technical committee, so it's part of their knowledge base, and they can include it in their discussions. Um, once we get clarification from the technical committee on some of these key issues that we've been talking about, then the next step would be to draft guidance. Uh, once a guidance statement has been drafted and approved by the technical committee, then it can be released for public comment. Fantastic. Well, it certainly sounds like there's a lot of work that needs to be done, and it's definitely very complicated you know, to figure out what information needs to be delivered to prospective fund investors. And so I guess it's a, a lot of work for you to do. Well, you know, this has turned out to be even, I think, a more complex issue than we had realized as we started the project. But, you know, I think we all believe, those of us working in this really do believe that the guidance will go a long way toward eliminating a lot of confusion in the pooled fund arena about what has to be given to prospective fund investors. And I think in our view, that greater clarity is well worth the effort. Well, thank you very much, Anne. Thanks for your time today. Well, thank you for joining us today. Copyright 2014 CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.